Welcome to the Whatever Podcast with Mark Dior. same thing for yours I guess and mm. it just but again first of this is just chit chat are yeah. we on the I'm recording right now but okay. I'll probably mainly just to have some because I want a dynamite intro from you <laughs> you know I am <laughs> I, the, the poet laureate right. or whatever <laughs> <coughs> okay we'll, we'll get started then. Hey folks, thanks for stopping by again. I'm your host, Mark Deal. I'm here today with uh, my storytelling co-host. I'm supposed to come up with some sort of cool nickname, but I haven't. But so Hank, Hank Godwin's here, and we've got another guest with us today, Rex. Uh, say, everybody say hi. Hey. Okay. Yeah. We're going to do some stories today, and Hank picked uh, love as a theme since we're in February, so... We'll get started here in a minute. How y'all been? Good. I'm really disappointed you haven't come up with a cool nickname. Uh, I'm sorry. Ask Rory. I told you to get Rory engaged at this. What about the cool intro? Wasn't that what he Yeah, yeah he, was he was supposed, supposed to have to... a cool intro. Yeah. Uh, I don't have much cool anything. <laughs> well, I have a confession. Okay. Uh, I wanted Rex to read... Because I wanted the two of y'all to get together. I know you know each other somewhat. But y'all have the coolest music taste of anybody I've ever (laughs) known. It's different groups, but almost in both categories, I've never heard most of what y'all like. So after this, y'all need to sit down a little bit and talk about your music taste. Okay. And I accredit, I used to be cool on music. I uh, used to know a lot of cool groups, and actually Rex's daughter, Mary, is turned me on to some music years ago, some indie band stuff, and uh, Bright Eyes, you ever mm-hmm. heard of that? Yeah. But since then, I've kind of gone way downhill, just don't, when I'm at home doing YouTube or whatever, I usually watch fishing videos, you know, <laughs> how to catch smallmouth in tiny creeks, you know, that kind of thing. But... Mary sent me a little CD of Bright Eyes and um, At the Bottom of Everything, which is one of their songs, just kind of changed my life. And that since Ben Harper and a few other things, I've kind of lost interest in the music. But you two guys, you know, he's a live music guy. Yeah, well, my my kids used to tease me about just liking John Denver. Uh, You know, that was the... (laughs) That was uh, that was a big thing to tease me about, but I have uh, expanded out a little bit from there. And, uh, oh, you're a lot better than John Denver. Yeah, you're right. We all. I made still fun like of John it. Denver. I still... <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was my kind of. Oh, I wanted okay. you two guys to get together and talk music sometime because he's he's really into it. Likes live music. I tend to listen to mostly Americana and country now. Most of the time. Oh, really? Yeah. That's that's my kind of my default if I'm going to listen to stuff. I'm not sure what your genre is. Americana, yeah. Yeah. I like uh, 
what what may have used to be called folk, I yeah. think, is uh, anything in that genre. Yeah. Well, I'm ready to read if you want okay. to. Okay, yeah. Um, several years ago, I think when I turned 60, I got, um, you know, you get where you, you're not worried about your children anymore, you know, they're off doing their thing, and, and then all of a sudden I got worried about what am I going to do if, if Liza preceded me in death, you know? So um, I, um, I had always kind of assumed that I would go first. You know, I had the unhealthy lifestyle. She, <laughs> she's great. So um, I just sat down and had a bunch of things that I went through an inventory of stuff that I could not do or I had no clue. Either I didn't have the passwords or whatever. So I decided to um, write this little short story. Now, is this going to make me cry? No. Okay. <laughs> I, if it does, I've missed the point. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> may make Hank cry. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, but I, I guarantee you, you will identify with me. I just know in Diana and both of you, you know, there's things that our wives do for us that we just don't have. I, I don't have a clue. Of course, I'm worthless anyway. But So here we go. This is called Life Without Liza. And I started off with, everybody knows this Henny Youngman uh, quote, but my wife and I have had the secret of making marriage last. Two times a week we go to a nice restaurant, a little wine, good food. She goes Tuesdays and I go Friday. <laughs> That's kind of in some ways about the secret of my relationship with Liza. Although the older we get, we tend to enjoy our company uh, a lot better. So here it is. I sometimes wonder what my life would be like without my best friend and wife, Liza. I'm a practical information technology guy by trade. Everyone needs a business continuance plan, or in my case, a disaster recovery plan. It would be a huge disaster if my wife preceded me in death or just took off somewhere exotic without my lazy self. She had better go into witness protection or I will find her. Most of our close friends know that she is the yard person in our family. Consequently, we have a great looking yard. When they make fun of me, I tell them, I not only do not mow the grass, I don't do anything that starts with a G in our lives. I don't go to the grocery store, put gas in the cars, or take out the, the garbage or buy gifts for weddings or graduations. In the truth, if the truth be known, there are probably several other letters of the alphabet that she could make a list on me. I'm not really a morbid person, but it does bother me that I'm so helpless. I saw a huge opportunity to solve this dilemma when my older son got married. I thought I had finally come up with a solution to my phobia. I actually wanted to have my new daughter-in-law sign a prenuptial, not with my son, but with me. She would be bound to care for me if Liza preceded me in death, or if my mental state was such that I stared into the air and uncontrollably drooled on myself most of the day. She mumbled something about being able to, not being able to change diapers and I had to back off. Besides, there is still my niece that loves me. This thought was bothering me, so, me more than usual one day, so I decided to take a lit to make a list of things I would have to learn or totally outsource to a third party 
praying to God, there is actually an agency that does such things as balance the checkbook. So here's my list. Laundry. I, I was thinking I could take the same approach as I did in college. I had 21 days of underwear, white socks, and t-shirts, along with two pairs of jeans. I would then go every three weeks to the laundromat with 75 cents. This would, would work great except for number two below. Number two, finding a laundromat. I don't know where they are. Big problem is there is no drive-up window, I'm pretty sure. Any, number three, any banking transaction would actually require take, talking to someone. My plan here is to make sure the brown stripe on the back of my debit card keeps working until the day before my death. I, I keep it in a little paper condom in my wallet to protect it. It is more precious than gold. Mailing a letter, number four. I have no clue how to get a stamp. To my knowledge, you can't, you can't get these from a drive-up window. Number five, balancing the checkbook. I think this is a really passe. Money somehow shows up at teller machines every two weeks. If I don't have a balance, I go to the pantry instead of the, cl the closest drive-up window for food. There is no need to balance the checkbook. Number six, stocking the pantry. How does this happen? Yellow pages. Number seven, paying bills. She has everything done electronically now. That's fantastic as long as she doesn't change her password the day before she goes. Number eight, buying birthday, sympathy, anniversary, thinking of you, or holiday cards. There are a multitude of issues with this one to, over, to overcome. See number four on this list. Assuming I figure that one out, her stash of cards will only last so long, and I, I would have to start using inappropriate ones at some point. Most people really don't appreciate congratulations on your new baby boy cards on their 50th wedding anniversary. Charitable contributions number nine. Again, my church hasn't installed that drive-up window for car side service yet. I could, I could do double, it could do double time during communion weeks. Number 10, making a bed. Falling back on what I learned in college, I would, I would layer my sheets and covers so that I would start sleeping on top and then peel back a layer about every week. This would time line up with my laundromat trips, hopefully. Number 11, house cleaning. I think I can figure out how to vacuum the couch and, and dust the remote control every quarter of the year or so. I understand I can outsource this function also, no problem. Number 12, cooking. I'm a master of frying bacon and cooking eggs, scrambled only. Most of the time, I don't mess up the biscuits or toast unless I'm distracted by a classic movie scene on TV. Bacon every day would be like heaven on earth. I will have to double my cholesterol meds, however. Number 13, kitchen cleanup. I believe the big green recycle tub is large enough to handle the skillets as I use them. I can always order more on the internet. I'll pay the kid down the street to drag the trash and recycle tub to the curbs on Fridays. Number 14, prescription meds. No, no problem. I call them in and pick them up at the drive-up window. Number 15, feeding the cat and dog. Hopefully for them, there won't be a cat and dog by, the, by this time. <laughs> I'm glad I made this list. It has given me confidence that I will be able to survive at least through a couple of laundry cycles. However, the perfect end time scenario would be if we both walked hand in hand through the pearly gates together at, 
at about the age of 98. I don't want to live too long because I'm sure I, 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 I'm sure I could handle. I'm not sure I could handle her criticism of my driving at age 100. Eliza's <laughs> <laughs> already an angel. That's yeah, right. that's true. She'll probably already find somebody in heaven before I get there. <laughs> No, that didn't make me cry. No. <laughs> it probably made you think. Now what are you going to do in the end times, you know? <laughs> you have Rory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Rory, Rory will take care of me. <laughs> My kids will just stick me in a home somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll tell mine. Uh, Hank had started writing these stories and reading them. Um, and... Uh, Kind of a challenge to me to do one as well. And this one was called Proposals, and there's a little follow-up story I can tell afterwards, but let me read it. I really want to see how this turns out, but Mary, my 25-year-old daughter, wants to move on. In just a few minutes, a young man's life will be laid open and hung out over a precipice. Mary seems bored. The thought crosses my mind, women really just don't get it. It's Saturday morning and we are climbing the east side of Pinnacle Mountain, the hard side, the one with the boulder field stacked upward at a knee-wrenching slope. Only a few people are on the trail. Just before reaching the top of the south peak, we approach three young men sitting on the side of the hill with a huge video camera pointed in the general direction of the north peak, which is about 100 yards away. Now this is a mystery. They have lugged this big expensive camera up the mountain but seem to have no interest in the panoramic views from this highest point. The only thing unusual about the North Peak where they have their camera pointed, as far as I can tell, is a small splash of yellow, too far away to identify. So puzzled, I look, look at the guys and one of them answers, there's about to be a proposal. I'm still confused. A marriage proposal, he clarifies, with a tone probably reserved for those diagnosed with senility. Oh, that's cool. So are those flowers over there? I point to the yellow splotch on the distant peak. He confirms that they are. Does she know, I ask? We don't think so. So it all fits now. The hopeful groom-to-be has chosen a mountaintop to pop the question with fresh air and open sky in front of God, three buddies, and a few intrigued hill climbers. The proceedings will be filmed from a discreet distance using a camera with a powerful zoom lens. Flowers mark the spot. The guy must be a bit of a romantic, perhaps not unlike myself. I proposed to my wife not far from here in a park overlooking Lake Maumelle on a starry night. That was 30 some odd years ago. Climbing the last few steps to the top of the South Peak, I suggest to Mary we stay and watch. We select a hard rock seat with a view of the North Peak, perched just above the film crew. I tell Mary a story she's heard before, the story of proposing to her mother. We can see the lake, and so I point to the general direction where it happened. Tucked away in a small cove off the lake, too far to see, but close enough to feel. I, I remember the warmth of the moment, but also the tinge of fear that rejection, at least uncertainty, was still a possibility. 
It didn't go exactly as planned, I tell Mary. I had no idea roses would wilt on one afternoon if tossed on the dashboard of a pickup truck. There was the lake, and the stars were out, and something dead that smelled to high heaven. <laughs> the bad omens were not working in my favor, but all these years of near-perfect marriage and three daughters later, I'm now sitting next to my youngest on a rock that overlooked nearly all of it. Just as I finish the story, a slender man in his 40s climbs up the hill from behind us. I can hear him talking with the film crew. His voice is huffy. None of you were able to talk him out of it. It's not all that it's cracked up to be. He climbs on up to the point where Mary and I are sitting, and I can't resist poking at him a bit. So you wouldn't get married again, I ask. He is surprised by the question, but quickly recovers. Well, this is the last time. <laughs> I'm guessing he's been to the well and drank the water more than once or twice before. A few people come and go, but nothing is happening on the North Peak. It begins to get cold, and my daughter Mary is ready to head down. I resist, resist for a few more minutes, but finally concede. Our plan was to hike down the west face, the easier side, and then circle back around the base trail to our car. As we descend, we should pass the young couple on their climb up, and I remind myself not to smile stupidly or issue any words of premature congratulations. And sure enough, just as we reach the saddle that separates the North and South Peaks, a young couple cross the trail in front of us and begin making their way out to the North Peak. Mary turns and smiles at them, but she's ready to go on down, but not me. Even now, there's a possibility of this ending badly. It's not the most radical proposal in the world, but it is being witnessed and filmed. I think of those videos my son-in-law talked about seeing on YouTube, documenting ways not to propose marriage. Don't put the ring in a food item, was the advice of one of the clips. The next image shows an x-ray with the ring inside the girl's stomach. Another clip was a broadcast of a professional bas basketball game. The girl has been lured to center court, and the guy shows up, drops to a knee, and presents a ring. The girl considers the question for a moment, whispers something to the guy, and then runs off the court alone. The TV announcer is not sympathetic. Ah, oh, he'll get over it in 10 to 12 years, he says. I've already told my daughters that in case that happens to them, just have a heart, act surprised, smile sweetly, and tell the guy we'll talk later. Here on Pinnacle Mountain, things, go, things could go badly. What if the young man is rejected and decides that life is not worth living? I try to remember my scout training and high mountain rescue techniques. Actually, I never made it out of Cub Scouts. For, for their part, the two seem calm and oblivious to our presence and the impending disaster I've created in my mind. They slowly work their way further out onto the rocky ridge, steep cliffs on both sides. We cannot hear anything they say, only, only the wind. They walk up to the flowers, no visible reaction. Does she see them? Maybe she thinks the daffodils bloomed early this year. They walk a little further and stop. He takes her in his arms, then gets down on one knee. After a few moments, her hands go up to cover her face. Then she leans over, takes his face in her hands and kisses him. A lovely word, yes. More so when viewed in pantomime. I breathe easier now, finally convinced the guy will not be jumping off the mountain. Funny, I don't know their name, never heard them speak a word, yet somehow they put a lift in my step. Maybe it comes from witnessing something positive. 
Maybe it is that I recognized a kindred spirit in the young man. Mary and I start our way down the west side of the mountain, the side facing the lake. The water is barely visible through the trees. It is bright daylight, but I can almost see the stars out over the lake. That's good. That I like that. Awesome. I like that. <laughs> so, uh, Second or third time I've heard it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so after I read it, my daughter's, at least a couple of the daughters were there, and uh, it's just amazing the interconnectedness we have now. I, and I really didn't know the name of the, the young couple, but all Megan did was put it on Facebook. Did anybody remember seeing this marriage proposal? And sure enough, there came up the names, and I don't remember who it was, but they were from North Little Rock, actually. Wow, well, cool. <laughs> so it. Um, so, when you read it, Tales from the South, that was because I won up you or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we we have this running competition between us. <laughs> I, I just now found out about it. <laughs> <laughs> The secret competition. Got, oh yeah, I have to up my game though. A little bit, you know? well, he certainly has done more. How many? Did, exactly. How many did you do? I did three. I think I did. I did just the one. Oh, that was yeah. fun. I, I, I miss tales from the south. I do too. I, I miss Paula yeah. Morrell. She really did a good job of coaching me on how to write. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She would. She spent a lot of time editing and. Uh, Giving and giving thoughts about yeah. what how it would make it better. You know this best of tales from the South book I have here, volume six. Mm-hmm. Both your piece, your piece and my piece is in this. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm particularly proud of that because most of the other people in there, other than you and I, are like you know creative writing teachers at University mm-hmm. of Arkansas, mm-hmm. you know, publishers and, yeah, and journalists kind of folks. I mean, there's. There was some classy stuff done at that Tales from the South. I really enjoyed Yeah, yeah. People would tell their personal stories, and um, sometimes it was very emotional for them oh, yeah. to tell. Yeah. And um, I, I hear it's still going on somewhere. I just don't know right. where. It, yeah, it's in a, a different form. We should try to find out where that is, but uh, I don't know if Paula Morrell is still involved. I don't either. Did, have you read your one about the about the BB gun and the? Uh, that was that's in here. But did you have you read it for for oh, work? No, or? but I actually I went to and heard you read that one. Oh, did you? I think that's one of because I, I went to one of them that you read, and I think it was the BB gun one. Yeah. That's probably right. the best story I've written. You know, yeah. I mean, compared right. to technically and all. Certainly that got lots of laughs. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah. It was, uh, it's, uh, it's a funny story. I read you'll that. Have, you'll have to read that on one of our shows. I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you come up with a cool with name. With a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will work on. The, I'll, I'll work cool up an introduction for you for okay. that, too. If you want. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> let Rex do that. <laughs> that. That sounds good. I would like to sometime on one of our storytelling one have several people in an audience and maybe out on our patio. Oh, okay. Something, you know, with a, with yeah, a, we need to do a remote venue again, you know, <laughs> if, even if it is your patio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got one more story that's going to be on this. I've got to call my brother-in-law later tonight. He has a story that he's going to read. Well, actually, it's going to be an excerpt from a story that he's written. He said So he's going to read part of that, and he's got a couple other stories, and he plans on publishing them together. Oh, cool. So... 
I will call him later tonight, record that, and stick it in right here. Okay, now, I'm talking with uh, Dr. Joy Walter, Dean of Workforce and Continuing Education at uh, Wenatchee. Is that how you say that? Wenatchee. Wenatchee Valley College. Where all the apples come from. Where all the apples come from. (laughs) Uh, Native Arkansan, but is now out in Washington working. Yes, sir. And also the co-author of a book, God's Door is Always Open. I think you can still find that on Amazon. Yes, plenty of copies still. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, and I, I should mention that he's also my brother in law. So. Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So you want me to talk about uh, this book? Yeah. That uh, kind of love is the backstory here. Okay. So I've written uh, a couple of short stories. I've written a couple of one-act plays. And this is the first short story uh, that I would like to publish. I have a couple of others that I'm working on. I'd like to publish uh, at least three of them uh, in a book. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But the uh, the story on this book, I'm going to read an excerpt from. This is chapter six. And uh, this guy, his name is uh, his, is Ethan Taylor. And um, he has passed away. He has actually gone to heaven. And he is actually, chapter six is him and his guardian angel. Uh, her name is uh, Alexa. And she is um, escorting him to his funeral. And so he is actually watching his funeral. Okay. So if we're ready, then I'll, uh, I'll start reading chapter six. It's, like I said, it's pretty short. It is a short story. So, okay. Okay. So chapter six, uh, the weather was perfect for a funeral. It was unseasonably cold. The sun was hidden by dark, ominous clouds. The bitter wind howled like a mercurial ghost. Amanda, Ethan's wife, had not slept much, as can be expected. She has been lying in bed, afraid to get up. That would make it seem real. No one else in the house is up yet, so she musters the courage to put her feet on the floor. She puts her robe on and slips into the kitchen. Maybe coffee will help. She puts the coffee pot onto brew and decides to go to the driveway to get the newspaper. This was Ethan's job, but now it was hers. Of course, most people do not subscribe to the hand-delivered newspaper these days, but the Taylors still do. As she steps outside, the cold cold pavement startles her. She makes her her way down the driveway and picks the plastic sleeve up. Without thinking, she opens the paper and immediately turns to the obituary section. Ethan's is the first one on the page. The first thing that she notices is his picture. It is one of her favorites. She decided to use his insurance sales picture instead of uh, the one from the church directory or any of the vacation or Christmas one. In the picture, Ethan is smiling. He did not mind having his picture taken as long as it was professional. She remembers the suit. It was and is her favorite. Navy blue with a gray pinstripe. He wore a solid red tie. Amanda remembers now he hated wearing it, how he hated wearing a tie at first, but then as he got accustomed to it, he did not mind. A new dressing professionally was part of his job. Amanda folded the paper under her arm and walked back up the driveway. Ed, their next door neighbor, was on the morning walk 
and saw Amanda, but acted like he did not see her. He didn't know what to say. His wife, Macy, had brought over a huge pan of lasagna the night before, but Ed could not look Amanda in the eye. He kept walking. Amanda walked back in the house and placed the paper on the counter. The coffee was almost ready. Zeke walked into the kitchen behind her. Neither spoke. Zeke is their son. Amanda again opened the, door, uh, the paper to the obituary section. They both read silently. Ethan Jonathan Taylor, age 51, left this life on Tuesday, November. Reading this confirmed that it was real. He was not coming back. Even with her own health problems, Amanda is chronically early. Church, work, when she can. Doctor visits, no matter. This trait did not rub, rub off on other family members. She decided to skip the coffee and shower. She takes a long, hot shower. Even though she is always early, she is stalling. She does not want to get dressed because she knows that will lead to the start of the funeral. But she goes about her routine and is dressed before John and Lucy are awake. These are the, the, the kids again. She looks at her phone, and there are several text messages offering condolences. Two of the messages are from the pastor, from their pastor, Jim Richards. The first text, text reads, I've been praying for strength and comfort for you, John, Zeke, and Lucy. The second text reads, is there anything else that you want me to say today? She thinks for a second and tries to remember their conversation at the funeral home. Jim had arrived early for the visitation and asked her and the kids what they wanted him to say. She knew that they had mentioned devoted family man, faith, sense of humor, but she could not think of how they worded everything. Jim has been doing this for a long time, she thought. He will know what to say. After Jim had asked this at the service on Thursday night, the kids began telling stories about their dad. Most of them were funny. John mentioned the time that his dad coached his peewee football team. They did not win a game, but they had a blast. Zeke spoke about his dad and him having a crawfish eating contest. It was a tie, but they both threw it. Lucy remembered her first date and how her dad tried his best uh, to intimidate her date and how he tried to be inconspicuous when he followed them everywhere that they went that night. Amanda typed a reply to Jim's text with, thank you, no, you know what to say. She hit sand and began sobbing. She sat on the edge of her now too large bed and thought of his laugh. He loved to laugh and make others laugh. She was going to miss everything about him but could not comprehend laughing again, not in this life. Amanda wiped her eyes, stood up, and walked to the kitchen. Zeke was sitting at his old seat at the kitchen table and staring out the window. She walked over to him and hugged him as he was sitting. She kissed his cheek and asked, hungry. Zeke shook his head. He still looked out the window, but Amanda could see that he was crying. She went to the refrigerator, opened it, and saw no breakfast food. It was stuffed with casseroles and the lasagna from next door. She always thought it was kind of odd that people brought food for funerals. Funerals always made her nauseous and food was out of the question. She did not see how others could even think about food. She did not feel like cooking, so she decided to go for donuts. She started to ask Zeke if he wanted to ride along, but she thought that he needed time alone. She grabs the keys out of her purse and heads out, to the, out the door to the garage. Their kids were ready two hours before the service was set to start. None of them spoke. Lucy could not stop crying. She was trying her best to not cry, but it, that only made it worse. Everyone filed into Amanda's car and backed out of the driveway. They were early to the church. 
It was still over an hour before the service was set to begin. The hearse had not even arrived yet. They sat in the car and listened to the radio. No one paid attention. Jim saw them pull into the parking lot, uh, but waited out of sight for them to head toward the auditorium. After five minutes or so, Amanda finally said, okay, let's go. They all piled out of the car. When they were a few feet from the door, Jim stepped out. I am so sorry. I know that words will not take away your pain, but please know that he is happy. They all thanked him, except for Lucy, who was crying harder now. Jim hugged each of them. When he hugged Lucy, she did not want to let go. Jim had held the door open for them as they walked past the auditorium. Jenny Sims was sweeping the church floor, but when she saw them enter, she dropped her dust mop. The noise startled them. Jenny was embarrassed and kept her head down. She attempted to show reverence, but felt as though it failed. Betty has already put the reserve sign in Section D for them. Jim walked them to their seats. He suggested that they wait in his office for when they brought Ethan in. The church did not have any type of waiting room, so he took them to his office where there was a church big enough for all of them. None of them wanted to sit. Jim asked if they needed anything. They all said, no, thank you. Jim asked to pray with them. They nodded. Jim began, Lord, we love you. We are hurting. We ask you for, you for comfort and know that Ethan is with you and seeing things that we can only imagine. In your son's name we pray, amen. They all said amen. Jim again asked if they needed anything. Amanda answered that she would like some water. Jim stepped outside for a minute and came back with four bottles of water. If you need anything else, please let me know. Jim did not say where he was going, but he stepped out of the office and walked to the side door closest to the auditorium. Just as he looked outside, the hearse pulled into the parking lot. Jail inmates from, from county were across the street raking leaves. As the hearse passed by them, all of the inmates stopped and bowed their heads. The guard on the horse did too. They held their bowed positions until Ethan was inside the church. Jim prayed silently for the inmates. The hearse slowed to look, look for the correct door to enter. Jim stepped out and waved to them. The funeral director and his assistant opened their doors and quickly shook Jim's hand. He stepped back and, and, to give them room. Tears welled in his eyes as he saw the casket. He stepped toward the church and held the door open as they wheeled the casket onto the old tile. Jim walked behind the casket toward the auditorium. As the two men turned, Jim turned the opposite direction to make sure that the family was still in his office. He stuck his head to the office and asked them again if they needed anything. They all shook their heads. Jim walked back to the auditorium and supervised the men from the funeral home. He did this out of respect for the entire Taylor family, including Ethan. The two men were respectful, but could feel Jim watching their every move. As they finished, they head toward the headed toward the back of the auditorium to hide the cart they used to transport the casket. Jim stopped them and tipped them 20 each. They initially refused, but could tell that Jim was in no mood to argue. They both thanked him. After the two men from the funeral home were out of sight, people started filing into the auditorium. As Jim saw the auditorium doors open, he walked hurriedly to his office. While the mourners, qu mourners quickly took their seats and waited for the service to begin, Jim stopped in the bathroom closest to his office. As usual, usual it was mostly silent, but Jim could hear the wind uh, rattle through the air conditioning vent. He stood and looked in the mirror for a moment, then leaned over and turned on the cold water on the faucet. He cupped as much water as he could in his hands and slowly dipped his face into the water. He dried his face and hands and headed to his office once again. He opened the door 
looked at Amanda and said, it's time. Amanda hugged each of the kids and followed Jim. As they entered the auditorium, everyone stopped whispering and those who were able stood up. Jim thought to himself that he had never seen this before. He ushered them to their seats, and as they all sat, he leaned and whispered into Amanda's ear, everyone standing for you as you entered shows how much Ethan is loved, but mostly how much you are loved. Both Amanda and Jim choked up. Jim turned and walked to the pulpit and sat in the chair behind the microphone and to his left. Tom Nesbitt, one of the church elders and one of Ethan's biggest fans, was already seated to Jim's right in the other pulpit chair. As Jim sat, he motioned to Tom. This is a signal for the service to begin. Tom nervously walked to the microphone in the paper in his right hand, which held some information about Ethan, uh, was noticeably shaking. Tom grabbed the paper with his left hand to stop the shaking and placed it on the podium. He took a deep breath, turned his head to clear his throat, and looked at the people in the auditorium. Will you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, we are here today to mourn the loss of Ethan. As we are mourning here, we know that he is rejoicing with you. We do not have to ask that you allow him into your kingdom. We have faith that he is already there. We ask you, we ask you that you comfort his family and his friends here as only you can. Amen. The crowd said amen. Ethan Jonathan Taylor was born January 16, 1966 in Fayetteville, Arkansas, to John and Betty Taylor. He is survived by his wife, Amanda, and children, John, Zeke, and Lucy. As Amanda and the kids hear these words, they all start to cry again. John sits behind his mom with his arm around her. Zeke is to John's right with his arm around Lucy. Lucy has not been able to look up. She quietly thought to herself that if she did not see the casket, she could handle this. As Tom spoke, she looked up in a reflex and burst into tears when she saw the casket. After Tom finished, he backed away from the podium and back to his chair. Ethan and Alexa arrived just in time to hear his family members begin being named as survivors. Ethan and Alexa stood in the back of the auditorium, but it did not matter where they stood. Remained unseen. Ethan thought how surreal the time has been since he has been in heaven. Now he was watching his own funeral, and yes, he was, in fact, late to his own funeral. He had been in heaven for nearly three earth days, but the time in heaven was much faster. It seemed as though much had changed on earth since he had left it. It had. Amanda and the kids were shattered. Ethan could see it, and he could feel it, even though he did not know how to describe these feelings. He was not sad. He was happier than any time that he had been on earth, even when he thought he was happy. He wanted to hug Amanda and each of the kids and tell them he was okay, that everything would work out just fine, to not mourn him. They would see each other again, and it would be better than anything they could imagine. But now they hurt and did not see how they could recover. They were going to have to rely on God to get them through. Alexa and Ethan stood in back and listened. Jim walked to the podium and turned to the tailor seated to his left. Amanda, John, Zeke, Lucy, your friends are here for you. The number of people here today show what type of man and what type of Christian example that Ethan is and was. I could stand up here and quote scripture and preach to the crowd, but this is about your family. What I will say is that heaven is real and you know where Ethan is right now. I can tell you that he is happy. You will see him again. This is not the end. For all of you that were lucky enough to call Ethan a friend, I will tell you this. Be like him. Use, his, use him as an example of how to live this short life. Because I am the minister of this church, I know a lot of things that go on behind the scenes. 
Ethan did the right things and took no credit for them. There were no scandals associated with him. He loved others. He showed compassion. He fed the needy and cared for the sick. He knew that many people do not like to be preached to, but he would listen and pray often. I love him and I will miss him. Jim turned to his right and went back to the seat to his seat behind the podium. Susan Livingston came from the audience and took the microphone. As she began singing Amazing Grace, Ethan walked to the front. He stood beside Amanda and the kids for a minute and then turned and studied the crowd. He saw people that he had not seen in years. His sixth grade teacher, his 11th and 12th grade English teacher, clients, Anita and Elizabeth that he graduated with. It was a strange feeling attending his own funeral. He was surprised that this many people showed up. He was a little annoyed that more than a few people looked at their phones throughout the service. Alexa motioned for him to come to the back of the auditorium. As soon as he returned, she asked, do you want to go to the gravesite? Yes, he said. Then Kevin Kirby sang, I'll fly away. Alexa and Ethan's travel is hard to describe. It is similar to transporting in science fiction movies. They don't really fly. They just transition almost instantaneously from one place to the other. So they waited until the church auditorium was empty and then were the first ones at the cemetery. The cemetery was more somber than the church, largely because of the weather. After the hearse pulled up, the other cars followed. Amanda and the kids drove themselves instead of taking the funeral director's offer to be chauffeured there. Mostly church members served as pallbearers. They carried the casket against the bitter wind and placed it under the tent that was already set up. Amanda and the kids were already seated. Jim stood and asked those in attendance to pray for and think about the Taylor family in the coming weeks. He spoke about playing golf with and regularly eating lunch with Ethan. He started to cry. It took a minute for him to compose himself. He then gave a prayer and dismissed the crowd. Alexa began to look around the cemetery for familiar names. Ethan stayed near the tent and watched his people return to their cars. He was surprised at the number of people who were upset. If they only knew, he mumbled to himself. Alexa walked back over to Ethan and asked if he was ready to go back. He nodded. Are Amanda and the kids going to be okay? Yes, Alexa answered. It will take some effort, but time makes it easier. With those words, they disappeared and were back in heaven almost immediately. Amanda pulled into the garage slowly and turned off the engine. She sat there briefly after the kids went back into the house. She was exhausted, and it was only 1.30 p.m. More friends and church members were arriving with food. She snuck into the house and asked John to apologize for her, but she needed rest. She went to her bedroom and laid on the bed. She felt like crying, but she was asleep before the tears came. As Alexa and Ethan began walking toward his home, Alexa stopped and turned to Ethan. It's time for me to go. Go where, Ethan asked. You are my last person to guard over. It is time for me to, to move on to something else. I have been given the opportunity to take Mackie Mack's place, who is like the head of the guardian angels. I will now coordinate other guardian angels. I'm excited to try something new, Alexa said. What if I have questions? You can ask your family. They are close by, said Alexa. Ethan was somewhat stunned, but knew that he had no say in the matter. He hugged Alexa. Although Alexa was his guardian angel, Ethan felt as though he should be protecting her like a daughter or a little sister. Alexa knew that he was so apprehensive, so she said, don't worry, we will see each other again soon, and I will miss you too. With that, she was gone. 
Ethan stood there in silence for a moment and then began, then began walking towards his home. That's it. That's chapter six. All right. Cool. How soon are you going to be done with all of it? What's right. that? How soon are you going to be done with it? Are you already I'm done, done with, with it? I'm done with this one. There's, okay. Uh, there's two others that I'm working on that, uh, for me, it kind of, <laughs> kind of, it's kind of hit and miss. Um, I kind of feel like I have to be in the mood to write. I don't, uh, know if I'm good at it or not, but um, I definitely have to be in the mood. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. So I'm not like uh, Ernest Hemingway who, yeah. who wrote for several <laughs> hours a day. Not at all. I wish I was. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's funny. This that chapter I wrote uh, like really quickly, just like maybe an hour, and then then it was off. You know, I was yeah wasn't feeling it anymore so it's, it's hit or miss with me for sure oh cool well maybe you can read some more later uh Absolutely. or maybe when once you get all this done and yeah you're how are you going to publish it i don't know i was thinking maybe um it's really hard to get published yeah or maybe i'm just really really not good uh <laughs> so i was thinking of of like putting three of the short stories together and uh, maybe just self-publishing on Amazon again. Yeah. Okay. That's what we did with the other book. And yeah. So it's, it's easy. And, um, I think everybody has heard of Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I look forward to it. I'll, I'll well, read thanks. it once you get it out there. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh. Thanks for letting me read it. I really appreciate oh, that. No problem. Well, thank you for, I've looked at. yeah. Thank you for reading it. Absolutely. So I guess that's, about it for today yeah uh thank y'all for coming on hope y'all will come back and do it again if you if you enjoy the podcast give us a like join our facebook page you can uh, catch us on uh podbean which is where our podcasts are host but you can also listen on uh, spotify itunes stitcher and i think we're still on iHeartRadio. radio i haven't looked to see if if we're still there but I guess I'll do it. I'll talk to y'all later. Bye.